warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica and as always I'm joined by my favorite gal pal Tara. Hey spooksters. Today is a Thursday, so we're coming at you with a stabby snippet, which I don't mm-hmm. feel like we've done in a while. Just like me telling you a random story about something that happened in the world at one point in time. Yeah, I think it's been a minute. We've done like series and stuff like that. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this one I found all on my own. <laughs> me clapping. <laughs> yes, Tara is, is hyping me up because I don't always. Anyway. Any hoodlebees. So today we're going to be talking about the Springfield Three. So in June of 1992, specifically June 6th of 1992, Susie Streeter and Stacy McCall. Susie was 18, and her name is actually like Susanna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Stacy had graduated from Kickapoo High School, and they were you know, all excited and they had gone to a couple of like graduation parties and basically they were like graduation party hopping. So I don't know, like maybe they went to like few, maybe a sober grad, stuff like that. And it was said that they left the last time they were seen by anyone at a party was about 2.15 a.m. on June 7th. And this is when they left their final party of the night and they went home and they went to Susie's house. So they went there. Her mom, Cheryl Levitt, was home. So Cheryl was 47 at the time, and she was a like a licensed cosmetologist. And people said that she was at least at home by at 11.15 p.m. because she was on the phone with one of her friends. They were going to do like refurbish like an armoire. They were going to like paint mm-hmm. it and stuff like that. So they were like making plans to do so. Mm-hmm. So both sets of these women, so like Cheryl and then Susie and Stacy. All had plans later. So the fact that they would disappear would be something that just was out of the ordinary. The next day, Stacy and Susie were supposed to go to a water park in Branson, Missouri with some friends, and they just didn't show up. Their friend Janelle Kirby mm. and her boyfriend were like waiting because like Stacy and Susie were supposed to go to Janelle's house. And like when she never showed up, they decided to go over to Stacy's house to see what was going on. So they do so. And when they get there, the only thing outside that seemed different was that the front porch light was broken. Mm-hmm. 
not the light itself, but like the the cover or like the globe that goes onto it was broken. And Janelle's boyfriend, you know, being a nice guy, thought, oh, well, you know, this probably like got broken, like maybe some kid hit it or something like that. Mm -hmm. So he actually cleaned it up and threw the glass away without realizing that he was potentially contaminating a crime scene. Oh, man. Right. So they go into the house and the weird thing is the door was unlocked. And I couldn't find an article that said whether this was strange, but people have made note that the door was unlocked. So it to me kind of seems that this might have been something a little out of the ordinary for them. Right. Mm-hmm. When Janelle and her, her boyfriend go inside, everything looked perfect. Everything was like in its place. Definitely there wasn't signs of struggle. So like right away, they didn't think anything was like wrong. You know, in fact, they went in and they saw like all of the belongings. So they kind of knew that Stacy and, and Susie had at least made it home. Because their purse, like their keys, their wallet, the girls smoked, so their cigarette packs were still there. These were things they didn't go anywhere without. And Susie had a little dog. She had a Yorkie named Cinnamon. And Cinnamon was home, but Cinnamon was like all upset. Mm, Yeah. And so they look around and they can't find any of these women. And they're like, okay, well, we don't know. Like maybe they left, but their cars were parked in the like outside in the driveway. Mm. It was definitely a weird situation. But, you know, like Janelle and them didn't have a reason to think that anything was amiss because like you would think if there had been a break in and the girl and these women had been taken, their house would have been like in disarray. Right. But it was not. So apparently while they were there, a phone call came into the house and Janelle answered it. You know, like maybe it was that maybe they were, you know, calling to let them know they got stuck somewhere or something like that. And she said that it sounded like it was someone making lewd sexual comments. And so Janelle just hung up. She just thought it was like a prank call. So then her and her boyfriend left and they're like, I guess we just won't go to the water park. And they Mm. just went home. Gotcha. So Janice McCall, which is Stacy's mom, was starting to get worried when she hadn't heard from Stacy that evening on June 7th. So she called over to Stacy's house or to, I mean, called over to Susie's house. And there was no answer. Now, Janice did the right thing, which is as soon as she realized that, like, no one was answering the phone and nobody knew where she was, she went over to the house. And she, too, entered the home. She said that she thought it was eerie because the house looked nice. But the one thing that she thought was really interesting is that, like, all of their purses were, like, lined up in a row. That's creepy. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, everything else seemed right. Like, I mean, Janice was able to, like, notice that her daughter's bathing suit was still there. Like, the car keys, her makeup, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. She had, like, changes of clothes because she was going to spend, like, she spent the night and then they were going to the water park and you probably didn't close. So, like, all of this stuff, like, suggested the girls had been there. The beds looked like they had been slept in, everything. It's just that all three of the purses were all lined up and they were lined up going up to Susie's room. Gotcha. Mm. Janice did call the police. And when they got there, they said that there had been a voicemail on the machine, but it seemed like it had been deleted. It looked like someone had deleted it while like trying to listen. So they was they weren't sure if it was, you know, when Janelle and them were there or something like that. Like when they picked up the phone, like something happened. But they definitely made a note of that. 
So yeah, the police come in, they're looking, they start investigating and they realize that they need to like block off the area because of the fact that this was a contaminated crime scene because Mm -hmm. Janelle and her boyfriend had been there. And then obviously like Janice McCall had been there as well. Cheryl's son, Bart, was contacted and they discovered that Cheryl and her daughter had been in a fight Mm -hmm. with Bart. So when they the police contacted Bart, they had come to they had come to find out that both Cheryl and Susie had gotten into a fight with Bart because apparently he had a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, my God, you know, maybe he like came and did something to them because of this. But he had an alibi. Another person of interest was Susie's ex-boyfriend, Dustin McClaw. But again, he also he and another friend, Michael McCl- Michael Clay, were on the radar, but they had actually, they cooperated with the police and they actually were being charged with a crime kind of at the same time. They were vandalizing mausoleums and stealing gold teeth. So it's like one of those things where it's really, it's like sucks that you're committing another crime, but like solid fucking alibi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at this point, the authorities have no one to look at. So they're like, what am I going to do? And the case goes cold. And this was in 1992. They wouldn't get their next promising lead until like 1996, which is basically when a man by the name of Robert Craig Cox, who was an inmate in Texas, kind of lets let slip that he knew something about the case. Hmm. Now, just a quick history on Robert Okay, so Robert had been arrested and convicted in Florida of the 1978 murder of Sharon Zellers. However, the Florida Supreme Court would actually reverse the decision because they found that he they didn't have significant evidence to keep him in jail. Mm-hmm. But let's not get ahead of ourselves because Robert was one of those people who likes to rack them up. So in 1986, he pled guilty to the kidnapping and assault with a deadly weapon of someone in California. And actually, he was sentenced to nine years for that crime. And once he was like acquitted or it was reversed, they actually shipped him from Florida to California to serve his time. Mm -hmm. And then he would be paroled, even though he was supposed to serve nine years for that. he, He was paroled in late 1990 and then would return to Springfield, Missouri, where he grew up. Now, some things to note about Robert is that he was a trained army ranger. Oh, shit. Yeah, so he had some skills of, Mm -hmm. like, you know, specific around combat, specifically Mm -hmm. around, like, transport, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. During the time in which the three women disappeared, he was actually working in like the utilities industry. And he also worked as a mechanic at a car lot in which Stacy's father was employed as a salesperson. Gotcha. Because of his history in 1992, he was questioned because he had proximity to one of the victims. You know, Stacy, he worked at the same place Stacy's dad worked. But his girlfriend at the time would go on to corroborate an alibi saying that they were like together and whatnot. So they ruled him out. Gotcha. Now, before you think this man is about to hop, skip and jump his way out of you know prison, he didn't last very much longer outside of prison. 
1996, he found himself once again in prison and he was serving a 30 year sentence for armed robbery in Texas. This dude just like fucking couldn't get his shit together. You know, like sometimes where you you hear about rap sheets and you're like, fuck, when did you just like who the fuck in your life just went, you know, maybe just work a nine to five. Fuck Put money in a 401k. God. <laughs> just lay low. Honestly. And so about this particular time, Robert's girlfriend would come back and recant her initial cooperation story, saying Shocker. that Robert had told her that if she didn't lie to the cops when they asked where he was in June, that June weekend, on um, June 6th and 7th, that basically, he basically was like, you have to do this for me. And I think she kind of was like, oh, okay, because apparently his like attitude is he was kind of a notorious like attention seeker. So she thought like, oh, this is just he's lying because he wants to Mm. be involved. I don't know. Like there are people who like that kind of shit. Like the people who are like, okay, I'm going to just want the cops to be involved in my life, which I don't. (laughs) You're like, no, thank you. Yeah. It's like that. I don't know about the rest of you. Right. It's that whole like these people that do these false confessions, too, because I was like, we've had a few cases like that. And I'm like, why? Why Why would we do that? It makes zero sense. And I don't understand, like, I don't get it at all. So because of the fact that they had no evidence, they literally couldn't, you know, say anything. But apparently, while he was in prison for serving for this armed robbery, he told a news reporter from KY3 News that he knew about the disappearance and the deaths of the Springfield Three. And he even claimed he knew the women were dead and that their bodies would never be found. So... This is kind of like a pickle because what you end up with is that there is a attention-seeking criminal who has a violent past, who has proximity to at least one of the victims and Mm -hmm. possibly more. We don't know. I mean, Springfield isn't that big of a city, but like still. So basically, the police looked into it, but there was no like 100% evidence that any one person has like committed this crime. And theories about what have happened to the women have basically gone from like kidnapping and human trafficking to like someone who was like plotting their murder, which to me seems weird because one, you wouldn't know that all three of these women would be in that particular home at that time. To me, it kind of sounds like maybe if this Robert person was doing it, he may have been stalking Stacy and came across a house where like there were only women in it. Right. I was going to say, it seems more like crime of opportunity for like all three of them being there at that same time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because if he was he or whoever was focused on that one and then saw the other two and they're like, okay, you know what I mean? Right. Also, like, I guess for me, like, I would kind of think that there should be more than one assailant in this particular crime because the fact that like their house was completely 100 percent clean like it wasn't disrupted or anything like that i could see where someone may have like come up and like knocked out the globe and then like unscrewed the light bulb so that no one could see Mm. yeah it's still one of those things where it's like interesting yeah so they didn't really have anything right and they're still like it's a cold case it's still on to this day it's still unsolved but in night in 2019 Susie's brother Bart was once again brought up as a suspect because he was arrested on suspicion of public intoxication, Mm. a disorderly conduct, and an attempt to falsely imprison a 15-year-old girl. (gasps) 
apparently the family released a statement saying that the charges were exaggerating apparent exaggerated apparently it was at like a nail salon so like i don't fucking know one of the really weird things i will say about this particular case mm-hmm. is that it's not weird because a lot of families of victims do this i want to take that back bart started a blog it's called the streeter mm-hmm. family blog mm-hmm. and basically like i looked it up because i was like curious about it and at this point There are some things like it tells you the story and everything like that and kind of like gives you the rundown of everything. However, the last like I would say like maybe five, ten years has literally just been like happy birthdays to Cheryl and Susie on there. Mm -hmm. And this case hasn't gotten like much publicity, though it's been on a few shows. Mm -hmm. It's been in. Oh, I should take that back because it's been in like People Magazine Investigates. It's been on the TV show Disappeared. Mm-hmm. The investigated discovery did is Springfield 3. It's been on 48 hours and America's Most Wanted. Another interesting thing is that even though this case is still unresolved, they've ended up with 5,000 tips from the public, which is a lot, considering mm-hmm. like this was one of those cases where it just up and vanished. Those fucking... Oh God. It's just like, because it's, it's not. Like, people don't just like poof by. Exactly. Ugh. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's just like one of those things where like, you know, middle America and I mean, generally when we see these crime scenes, they're like violent looking and it just looks like the whole world of this house. Those houses are turned upside down. But this literally Mm -hmm. was just everything was there except for the people. So eerie. Right. Which is like kind of one of those things where you think, could this have been a person that Knew them, knew them well and just mm-hmm. came in and but like how do you subdue three people that's where i come back to like how could it just be one person yeah i mean if it was one person he could have had a gun right but or you a think shotgun. Like, because they were in like two rooms yeah 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 but you have to think about it like if if even though there's more of them than this one person if it's one person mm-hmm. If someone has like a shotgun or a big gun or even just a regular gun, it's like, and there's no weapons in the house. You know what I mean? They're going to be like, shit, we need to cooperate. Right. Because especially if it's like a male or a bigger male or someone stronger than them, you know, your odds are not that great, especially if they have a weapon. But yeah, it would make more sense if there was two people. Mm -hmm. Investigators did receive a tip that the women's bodies were buried under a fountain in the south parking garage of Cox Hospital. And Mm. some crime reporters went out and looked at it and they did a scan and they did find three anomalies that were roughly the size of women. But I don't think anyone has actually like dug. They actually haven't dug up or anything like that. So we don't know. Yeah. Actually, I know that they haven't because someone actually said that, like digging up the area and then like redoing the construction would be extremely costly and they don't have reasonable belief that the bodies are located there. Oh my God. So. It's like Kristen Smart where they didn't want to dig up the backyard because they didn't want to pay for it to get fixed if she wasn't there. Right. I mean, we could just start a campaign, people, and, you know, raise the money. I don't for feel real. like it's that much. But yeah. You know, as of today, it's still considered open and you can, you know, contact the Springfield police if you have any kind of information on this case. 
just to kind of wrap up, in June of 1999 or 1997, all three women were declared dead. And there's actually like a bench that's dedicated to them in the Victims Memorial Garden in Springfield. Mm -hmm. In Springfield's Phelps Grove Park. So if you are in Springfield, you can go if it's still there, which I hope it still is because that's kind of fucked up if it's not. But yeah, so this was definitely a story that kind of like caught my attention because it's so strange. Like, I would think that something would be out of place. Maybe you would knock over a glass of water or, you know, anything. Yeah. But just the just the porch light. That's what blew my mind. So. Right. Yeah. Mm. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode and we will be back on Monday for another one. Bye, Bye, guys.